Let's go. Let's go. Oh, no. Do you want to? Sorry. I'll let you. I'll let you. Next one. I'm excited and I feel relaxed and I'm ready to party. Don't say sorry. You don't need to do that. You don't need to apologize. It's a fucked up female habit. You don't need to be sorry for anything ever. Can you guess what every woman's worst nightmare is? I don't have rage issues! I have nothing to prove to you. When I'm good, I'm very good. But when I'm bad, I'm better. I say when it comes to stardom and Lauren, there are no accidents. Hi, Karen Peterson. Hello, and welcome to Citizen Deem. The podcast where we are celebrating our 250th episode. Yay! I'm I'm Karen Peterson, joined by Lauren Humphreys Brooks. Yeah. Hi, Lauren. How are you? I'm good. I'm very good. Yes, I'm excited. I'm excited about I'm excited about this topic. And I'm also excited about the fact that it's 250 episodes. That's amazing. Yeah. Can you believe it? Cool. That's that's a lot of talking. <laughs> about, about movies. Mo- and about feminism. movies. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I survived the hurricane. Yay! I'm still here. My and, mom was worried about you, by the way, just to let you know. Like, she, she was like, is Karen okay? I was like, yeah, she's fine. That's so nice. Yeah, no, I was totally fine. We did get rain. It got a little bit windy, but definitely not like the hurricane or tropical storm force winds here. But the town I work in, because I work for a small community college, and that town got hit pretty hard. Not like in the main part of town, but up on the outskirts, up toward the mountains. And we had some people stuck in their homes. We had, um, there's like, some of the mountain roads are just destroyed. There are people that like, can't take the main drives right now. And who knows when that will reopen still, you know. There's one town that's entirely just gone. Someone was telling me that in those cases, FEMA just like cuts you a check and walks away. So it's pretty sad. But but for the most part, it actually ended up not being not being so bad. So mm-hmm. we got really lucky. So yeah. How's That's your week good. been? It's been pretty good. It's been pretty good. Well, doing just basically doing a lot of work and and watching John Woo films, which <laughs> has been a wonderful rest respite i guess in a certain sense yeah from like reality like yeah so oh, there is very yeah there is very much an escapist element to john woo movies mm-hmm. that is true we're going to talk about that today but uh first i just wanted to to share we got a comment from sharon who said 250 uh triple exclamation point how wonderful I bet there have been many, many changes. Oh, man, there have been so many changes to this show <laughs> yeah. since the beginning. First of all, there used to be four of us. We cut that in half. <laughs> <laughs> um, Kristen and Kim, by all accounts, are doing well. I'm supposed to see Kristen on Sunday. I don't know if I'm going to because I just had a COVID exposure again. So oh, no. I'm thinking I should probably not. I, I am fine. But just in case, you know, mm-hmm. trying to not be the one to spread stuff so we'll see but but yeah they're both doing well um lots of other things like we've kind of changed how we talk about movies we talked we've changed our format we mm. you know what are what are some other things we've changed over the years uh we we talk a lot more i think about less contemporary films like we we've definitely and we t- it depends upon what we're talking about but we've definitely moved back to a lot of of film history discussions Mm-hmm. um and and like when we first started a lot of it was much more contemporary also we we have to you know note the fact that we started and within like the second episode harvey weinstein had 
the the whole scandal had broken the me too movement really started up like all of that shit that that was going on in hollywood and and elsewhere so we kind of totally on accident right Mm -hmm. we were were sort of at the beginning of all this and so so much of if you listen to some of those early episodes so much of the focus really is on like you know actors who have been who are getting exposed as abusers and like all of that stuff i'm i'm glad in a certain sense that we've been able to move away from that um to to a certain degree but it was it was an interesting interesting time really to to start talking (laughs) like this we we had I don't know if you remember this. We had recorded an episode that ended up not working. So it kind of became just mm-hmm. a test episode. And that one was actually about Stephen King. And yeah, because um, it, it was when it had just come out. Yeah. And so we were talking about Stephen King. We were actually talking a lot about the way he writes about women and how it's not always great. Um, and that episode was kind of a lost episode because we weren't able to to put it out there was a lot of um audio errors with it Mm -hmm. and so then our our official first episode um we ended up just kind of doing something different and yeah episode two i think or maybe it was even that first one was when the stuff started happening with um who was the first person that went down was it the birth movies death guy yeah, I think that was the first one that we that. talked about was was Devin Faraci. Yeah. And, hey, hey, everybody, remember Devin Faraci? Then now no one gives a shit about him anymore. Oh. Isn't that awesome? Um, he became a Buddhist and uh, <laughs> like, yeah. like fun he did. Oh, um, okay. uh, y- yeah. So so that was that so was, was him. I think that was the start. And then it, and then, and then it was like Harry episode- Knowles and then it was yeah. Cine Family and then boom. And then wine and then Weinstein, and that's when everything sort of busted wide open. As yeah. it were. It was an we interesting used to trajectory. Have, it really was. And we used to have a weekly segment this week in garbage people because there was <laughs> so much happening at that time uh-huh. and so much coming out that we just would do a rundown of everyone who had been accused that week. So I'm really glad we're we're past that. Yes. Like there's still night- garbage people and we will still talk about them, but we don't have to make it a weekly segment. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and Harvey Weinstein is is in in prison. <laughs> the rapist Harvey Weinstein is in prison probably and, for the rest of his life. And that's funny and it's it continues to be funny and it will always be funny. And so. it feels really good to know that he is behind bars and cannot hurt anyone anymore. Yes. Yes. So yeah, things those things have definitely changed, but um yeah i i'm having i'm having fun so (laughs) it's it's just such a good time to talk about movies like current movies old movies all of it like it's just it's great and i really enjoy talking about movies with you lauren me too i enjoy talking about movies with you karen oh thanks um so before we talk about movies this week we're going to talk a little bit about tv specifically (laughs) our flag means death which is coming back in October, finally. So happy. I'm so excited. Vanity Fair <laughs> released um, an exclusive first look at Our Flag Means Death Season 2. And they released a bunch of first look photos that are just <laughs> magical and perfect. And they're just burrowing into my soul. The photo of Steed standing there with the bottle. And I'm like, 
Oh my god! Mm-hmm. I was gonna react because he because he doesn't know yet. He doesn't know what's happened yet. He's so, yeah. <sighs> oh my gosh! I just yeah. I can't. I I just can't. So um, mini drivers joining the show, which is gonna be fun. She's delightful. Um, yeah, there's just so much happening and I can't, I, I just, I can't wait. And we're going to link the, the article because you need, if you haven't gotten a chance to look at them, you need to see these photos and just enjoy the magic for anybody who doesn't know what our flag means death is. It's a show on Max and you, you, that's all you need to know. And you should just go watch it immediately. It is. It's an it's an amazing show, and it's not very long either. But it's like ten episodes. It's ten episodes. They're like it's a comedy. It's like a half hour comedy show. So I think each episode is somewhere between thirty and forty minutes. Um, and it's it's a um, not fantasy. That's not the right word, but like a not entirely accurate telling of the story of Steed Bonnet, who was the gentleman pirate. He was a real person who befriend, befriended Blackbeard and um, hijinks ensued. And uh, yeah, it stars Reese Darby and Taiko Waititi. And that's all you need to know. Go watch it. And everything is wonderful. I guess I, I did. Yeah. I did see that some, someone had mentioned that um, I think it was the independent had reviewed good omens too. And was saying, Oh, this is a buddy comedy. And people were making jokes about the fact that, oh, yeah, this is really a buddy comedy. And they had, uh, <laughs> and apparently someone had done the same thing with Our Flag Means No. Just like, oh, it's a buddy comedy. About wow. These. Just like, oh, yeah, guys being pals. Like, <laughs> dudes being bros. That's that's what this is about. 100%. Sure, sure Jan. <laughs> so, I mean, oh. I know that's how I relate to all of my same gender buddies. Like, right? all the time, my... <laughs> My pals, my friends. <laughs> oh, yep, that's definitely what it is. That's, that's definitely it. <laughs> oh man. Anyway, our flag means death season two is coming in October, and I just it's gonna be magical and I can't wait. So yeah. Uh all right. So this week we want to talk John Woo. It's something that it's a it's a topic we've been considering for uh, you know a while now and it's the end of summer it's the end of summer movie season it just felt like a good time to talk john woo so specifically we do have a couple of movies that we're going to to dive into mm-hmm. but um here's a little bit of a background about john woo uh he was born john woo yusen in 1946 in hong kong and um he is best known for action movies I think we can just sum it up that way. Uh, <laughs> That's one way of putting it. I think I, I don't think he's ever made light romantic comedies or anything. Like uh, no, but he did make Wind Talkers, which was like a war drama. So, yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, he's he's best known for. Um, uh, oh, I'm sorry. I said he was born in Hong Kong. He was not. He was born in um, China, but. Um, he was his family was from Hong Kong. He grew up there. Um, anyway, so uh, but yeah, he he started making movies in the seventies and um, continues to make movies. He just recently uh, had something I can't remember what, but anyway, um, some of his his uh, biggest 
best known movies are films like Hard Target with Jean-Claude Van Damme, um, A Face-Off with John Travolta, which we're going to talk about, um, John Travolta and Nicolas Cage, um, he did Mission Impossible 2, um, just lots of lots of big action-packed, like over-the-top mm-hmm. action movies is what he's really well-known for, and doves. Yeah so <laughs> but um, bombastic i i was th- i was thinking of like oh, what adjectives yeah, yeah bombastic yeah. bombastic action movies i think are are very like and i say that with love too like i i'm not saying like oh this is a bad thing it's just like no but these are bombastic films mm-hmm. you know? yeah no that's that's perfect yeah he also um in a lot of not a lot, but in in a number of his films, he also appears, you know, as either a character or a background actor. So he kind of does a little bit of the Hitchcock thing, um, but not in every movie. So um, I, I like in one of his movies, he played a character named Mr. Wu. I was like, oh, so he's playing himself. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um. Anyway, so uh, Lauren, what is the first John Wu movie you saw? I, I think it was probably face off <laughs> um, mom, dad. Uh, I don't know. Like, why did you show me that when I was like, <laughs> I'm not going to say that it was right when it came out necessarily, because I think that it, but it would have been when it came out on like video. Right. Um, I, I'm pretty positive. I didn't see it in the theater, but I'm just like, what, why, why did you, why, why, why did that happen? <laughs> um, Cause I remember some scenes vividly, like very, very well. And, uh, and it, we'll talk about that when we get there. But I, I think that that was the first, probably the first John Woo movie that I saw. Um, and then the first one, when I was really aware of like who John Woo actually was, was um, Mission Impossible 2. Mm, yeah. Yeah um let's see so what are some of the the things that make john woo stand out as a filmmaker some of the things that he's best known for um like we joke (laughs) a lot about the doves (laughs) well yeah and and i i was trying to figure out where did the doves start Mm -hmm. right like at what point because i i actually i recently saw one of his um, much earlier films from the 70s i think it was uh last hurrah for chivalry yeah, which, which is available on Criterion. Is is available on Criterion. It's it's one of those films that like for the first hour, I'm like, when is something gonna happen? And then the last half hour of the film is basically a fight scene. It doesn't and it's stop a, happening. <laughs> yeah, and it's a fantastic fight scene. Like yeah. it's it's great martial arts, it's just like continuous, right? Um, so it's it's a bit of a, a mixed bag that film, but I do not recall any doves being featured. So they're there's definitely some point where he like became this kind of campy almost like there's there's definitely a self-awareness to a lot of his films that the explosions and the slow motion and the excessive violence and excessive like long gun battles etc i mean all of the films that we're talking about have really long action sequences uh, particularly nearing the end of the film Mm-hmm. where it just keeps on going and more stuff keeps on happening um and and it's it's extreme but it's not it's extreme but it's not extreme in like the way that tarantino is extreme i guess right. um yeah I, it's it's hard to to catalyze i guess i guess yeah so i um, john woo has said and this is a, a quote 
um, in Screen Rant, but this is something that he said is, um, these guys have done some bad things in their lives, but their souls got saved in the end, which is why I wanted to express through this image. So he uses the doves to express um, sort of this, because doves are known for um, they representing peace and purity. Mm-hmm. And so he um, he uses those to symbolize like for his characters that either have gone through a change and become more pure or the characters who are like the good guy. Like this is the, this is the person who's on the right side basically. So, mm-hmm. um, but it started with the movie, the killer. Okay. And um, that film was from 1989. So that was the first time that he used that. And then he didn't use it in every movie after that, but it is something that pops up frequently um he's also used butterflies for the same um basically the same reason so yeah he's definitely go ahead on sorry well i was good there's there's an inherent contrast obviously where you've got these big explosions and gunplay and people killing each other and blood everywhere and all that and then you've got these yeah like these symbols of purity these very peaceful symbols Mm -hmm. um that are kind of there in the middle of all that but it does it does produce this extreme effect i guess so you've got you know the the doves flying away while explosions are going off and mm-hmm. you know characters are shooting each other and it's it kind of happens in the middle of all of that like so symbolically i think it's hard to make some of those arguments given that i mean the, the kind of one of the major points of climax and um face-off involves being at a church with the doves and the cross and the <laughs> and like a standoff where everybody is pointing guns at everybody else <laughs> um and so it's like so how is this saving anyone it's more like that that element of contrast and that sort of that can't the, the campiness the the campy elements to to pretty much all of his work that there's an extremity there um that is also self-aware yeah and there's also he even while he's making these campy violent action-packed movies there's also this um this sense of like he knows what he's he knows what story he's telling but he has this like deeper thought to it too like everything Mm -hmm. he does even when it's well especially when it's like really campy it's like everything he does is very intentional and and very thought out he doesn't just oh yeah throw together a bunch of stuff and just make it work like he he has a very strong um point of view and a very strong um just thought and and he brings that out in his films so yeah yeah it's it's very archetypical i mean a lot of in fact all three of the films that we're talking about it's very much you know good versus evil um that, but also the complications of those things. So, you know, the and, and in some ways, you know, reaching back to something like Last for Offer Chivalry, where you've got this almost legendary story going on. And right. he takes those kinds of ideas and he transposes them to, you know, the modern age, so the 1980s, the 90s, the, the aughts, right? And tells these stories that you are always aware of who is the good guy and who is the bad guy, but you're also aware of the complications of that and how those archetypes get complicated the good cop versus the bad cop the um the the hero you know the 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 police officer versus the gangster but also how they switch roles or become more and more like each other um and also how they pull away from each other so you've got that kind of consistent face-off as it were Mm -hmm. yeah 
So let's talk about a couple of specific movies. Um, first of all, one of his um, earlier Hong Kong films that is probably best known for a lot of American audiences is Hard Boiled, which uh, stars Chow Young Fat and Tony Leung. Um, and little little baby Chow Young Fat, oh my little gosh. baby Tony Leung. I saw them. I was like, oh my god, <laughs> you're both so cute. They're both so you. young and adorable. And oh my gosh, Tony in particular is like so hot in this movie. Um, he really is. <laughs> yeah. So it's uh it basically starts off with sort of this like um well it starts off there's a basically a shootout every 10 minutes for the first hour and a half and then there's just 40 straight minutes of a shootout. Uh it's it's great. It's really fun. Um but it starts off like the what gets the the plot in motion is um a shootout between gangs and uh police officers killed in the process um and this sends Chow Young Fat because it's his partner kind of on this like out for revenge. He's going to bring down this gang and um, he ends up partnering with an undercover cop who is Tony Leung. And um, they're basically trying to bring down this like big, big gang leader and, and the whole, the whole network. So uh that's kind of in a nutshell what happens. There's a lot that happens, but overall, Lauren, this is your first time watching Hard Boiled 2, I think. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. We both watched it for the first time this week. So what were your overall um, impressions, thoughts, and feelings about Hard Boiled? <laughs> I mean, once I got there, there's a certain point that I got past and you, you mentioned it in our, um, in our Slack conversations, this issue of police brutality and the kind of the glorification of the cops. Yeah. as these as these heroes right and i do think the film complicates it a little bit particularly as you get this conflict between the undercover officer who is sort of you know having to balance the things that all undercover officers in films have to do which is he's got to be the bad guy right but he also is not actually a a psychopathic killer mm-hmm. um and and so you've got this kind of back and forth that goes on and then you've also got the chai and character who is a cop right who is not an undercover cop at all um, but is also definitely doing things outside of his jurisdiction, outside <laughs> of what you're allowed to do as a police officer, like all of that. And it's very much in that like dirty, hairy vibe, which was actually one of the influences uh, I understand uh, for this film. Yeah. And and but I, I do think it's one of those times where if you you have to turn off a little bit of your brain um in understanding you know propaganda and and issues of police brutality and all of that and kind of just enjoy what Wu constructs um because the the action set pieces are fantastic the last 40 minutes are really spectacular like i i got to the point where they were going into the hospital and i was like well, there's like another 45 minutes left of this film like but this is definitely the the big climax so yeah. is this going to go on for 45 minutes and it does <laughs> that's exactly what happens it just keeps going yeah um my thing at that point was like why is he holding a baby on the poster i don't understand yes. oh 
<laughs> well, and, and it just, that's the thing. It just keeps on escalating and it, it, it makes sense to a certain degree. Like just like, okay, yes. Okay. The hospital. And then like, I've got to evacuate the hospital and then it's getting worse and worse and worse. And it's like, he's gonna, he's going to rescue the babies. Like we're going to carry. <laughs> and then he carries a baby around for like, because minutes. it's like the one baby that they didn't get out and there's no way to just go out the window now and so he's like carrying a baby through the hospital shooting bad guys and i like his dialogue with the baby like he's just <laughs> like oh you can't don't you look at this this is this is x-rated violence like we're not okay <laughs> yeah this movie is wild um it is the one of the one of the things in regards to police brutality that i had brought up that i really do um want to just just look into a little bit more for myself one of the things i was really struck by as the movie is opening um like in the early not just the first scene but in early conversations like when um tequila which is chow young fat's character when he's talking to his his boss um and and just the way that he interacts with his fellow officers and stuff it 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 was one of these things, because it's like here in the States, I'm used to this attitude of like, oh, that guy's a cop, you know, like we just we just accept that cops are assholes. And no, I understand not all cops are assholes, um, but like we just kind of accept that if someone is a cop, that it's like allowed for them to just be a jerk, you know, and it's like watching this movie, which is very much not set in the United States. It was like, wait, they kind of have that, too. And I was thinking through like, man, I've had interactions with police in other countries, like in Europe and stuff. Not not really negative ones, but like it's so common for police to just be jerks. And we all universally just accept this. And that's what I was like. I don't I don't get it. But you brought up. Yeah, it has a lot to do with like Dirty Harry and those types of characters. Yeah, I mean, that kind of, particularly in the 1980s, and, and I think that Wu's definitely in dialogue with other films that are being released in that period. So it's set in, in Hong Kong, right? But he's definitely, like, I mean, he's using stuff like Dirty Harry, which I think is, is late 70s. Uh, Bullet is another one that I guess gets, mm, yeah. uh, was, was a major inspiration for this. And, but it's that, it's that kind of law and order, the cop who has to go outside the rules in order to get things done right and it is a very reactionary stance right cops are not supposed to do that (laughs) um but it's it's this reaction to this whole concept of corruption and concept of um you know the the only savior is really the lone cop who doesn't always obey the rules and in fact usually breaks the rules but uh succeeds and he gets the bad guys in the name of justice yeah exactly and that's that's bit that's a lot of the basis of a lot of copaganda that that the cop as long as his heart is in the right place mm-hmm. as long as he's doing what he's doing for law and order and justice can do pretty much anything that he wants to and as long as um, he's going to save that baby it's yeah, all good exactly exactly <laughs> and and i think something like this film because to a certain degree because it makes it so extreme is less offensive in some ways than some of the more serious films mm-hmm. um because you know it is it's silly when you've got like chow yum fat carrying around a baby in one hand shooting people with the <laughs> other and repelling out windows and all of that stuff it's very like this is i mean this is silly like it is it's it's so obviously action movie land right um yeah. whereas with some and that's true kind of with something like dirty harry but there are other films that are mu- that take the same 
perspective, but are more realistic ultimately. Um, mm-hmm. And those are the ones that I think get more disturbing. But at, at the same time, yeah, it's this, it's the sense that like, okay, we're going to accept that the good guy, right? The hero is this asshole cop who will do anything, including, you know, breaking all kinds of laws, all kinds of conventions to, to get the villains. And because the villains are so bad, right? In this film, you've got a guy who's like, I'm going to destroy a hospital. <laughs> You know, and, and he kill the... shoots patients. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like you, you've got like even to the point that some of his own henchmen are like, "Hey, bro, this is a little much." <laughs> so he shoots them. Mm-hmm. But but yeah, so because the villain is so villainous, right? We are, I think, as an audience, we're totally conditioned to accept the behavior of the police. We're we're just like, oh yeah, sure, of course, kill everybody because these guys are the worst. Yeah. So overall, what would you say is your biggest takeaway from Hard Boiled? <laughs> it's I, it is fantastically entertaining. Like it, it is. I've recommended this actually to a couple of people since I saw it um, because I'm like, you know, if you can turn off that that part of your brain that wants to critique it, right? <laughs> Uh, it's really, really enjoyable. And then, you know, step back and turn that part of your brain on again and be like, that's really problematic. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so you know, striking that kind of balance, but I do think just in terms of the of the action, the what he accomplishes, um, and makes us care about these characters. Like I, I think that having that balance with to- Tony Leung's character, who is much more troubled by the things that he has to do, and is yeah. much more like, I don't. This is not why I became a police officer. Right? I became a police officer to get the bad guys, not to have this really complicated moral issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think that having that balance to Chow Yun Bat's character is very much needed because otherwise it would just be it would be too bombastic. It would be too much like this one hero against the world kind of thing. Um, yeah, they're both Sorry. great. It's loads of fun. Uh, the final like sequence. Be prepared for a lot of violence but it, it's a it's like very entertaining violence yeah i i really was taken with just i mean i i've also seen a couple of his other um films that were a little bit earlier than this too and he's very good at um bringing together like good fight choreography obviously he's not the choreographer but like he's really good at at bringing that out and and in and using that incorporating that with story with humor with you know just every element comes together really well and even though it is big and loud and crazy and chaotic it somehow all comes together in a way that's that's really good and one thing that i was really surprised about was how um I didn't get lost in the subtitles while watching the action there's so much being said but it was like i could follow you know 98 percent of it you know and it was it was mm-hmm. uh that's that's pretty rare to be able to to pull that many elements together and make it work um and also just um just to to touch on what you were saying too about like tony Leung's character where like even though this is a crazy loud action movie there's still this depth to him that that also comes through and doesn't feel silly and that's also a really hard balance to pull off as well Mm -hmm. so yeah 
even though yeah. it's crazy it's it it actually really shows john woo's capabilities as a director overall very very well it, it really it really does and and the fact that you know you so you get to the babies right but by the time <laughs> you get to the babies it's you've been again you've been prepared for it it works it fits mm-hmm. in with the entire structure of the film it doesn't feel like this sudden you know shift or or left turn or anything it's very much like yes of course this is going to happen yes i'm very invested in him rescuing the baby like it's it's that ex- it's that experience that it's it's very it's very well done i did i did want to say really quickly i guess that the the female character was originally written for michelle yao oh um and and she wound up not being able to do the film so they recast and they they actually rewrote the character in large part but is that why they see- keep saying yes madame <laughs> <laughs> i think so like i noticed that line and i was like is and then i, I looked it, it up like, like three times i was like oh so this was supposed to be for michelle yo all right <laughs> um and i do you know i i it's one of those things like man that that would have been interesting to have those three actors just period mm-hmm. in that film um playing those those parts and i imagine that the the um at this Teresa the that role would have been quite different um if they had cast michelle yeah but i was like oh that's a, that's an interesting that's an interesting what if you know yeah yeah um okay so after let's see after he did uh hard boiled his next film was actually his first american film that was hard target in 1993 with jean-claude van damme and this was actually the first john woo film that, john woo film that i saw um i loved hard target so good um and then he does broken arrow and then 1997 face off and (laughs) we got we got a comment from shakita about this so i just wanted to share um she says i just want to say i used to watch face off all the time when i was younger the movie came out when i was 13 and i saw it in the theaters and when it used to air on cable stars mostly i used to watch it every day i can recite the entire movie still to this day I used to annoy the hell out of my mom. <laughs> she used to, I can relate to that. She used to throw shoes at me, LOL. <laughs> it used to come on the Stars East and Stars West channels, sometimes overlapping, and I would switch the TV back and forth watching different parts of the movie. I thought it was so cool with the pretty guns and the doves. I watched it recently, and it's a pretty dumb movie, and the science is unbelievable. <laughs> Definitely doesn't hold up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Thank you, but- Shakita. I love it. I love it. But does it hold up perfectly, actually? Yes, it is exactly the movie he wanted to make. And yeah. So for anybody who doesn't know what Face Off is. <laughs> first of all, how can you not? Like, right, come on, this first is a of all, classic. Just pause right now. Go watch it and then come back. Um, it stars Nicolas Cage and John Travolta. Um, John Travolta plays an FBI agent and Nicolas Cage plays a really bad guy and um and they end up switching faces well John Travolta switches <laughs> and takes on Nicolas Cage's face to go undercover and try to find out where uh the location is of a bomb that is set to go off somewhere in Los Angeles and when Nicolas Cage wakes up without his face he wants his face <laughs> But it's not available, so he just takes the one that is available. <laughs> I don't know how else to describe this movie for someone who doesn't 
it's it's basically I was trying to describe this to a friend who'd never seen it and I was like well it's John Travolta Nicolas Cage and they switch faces yeah and they they're mortal enemies <laughs> yes yeah, so they because... become each other <laughs> yeah because Nicolas Cage's character is Caster Troy and John Travolta plays Sean Archer and Caster um had been trying to kill Sean years before and accidentally killed his son instead and so they are sworn enemies to the death and um this movie also stars Joan Allen, Gina Gershon, Alessandro Nivola, um a few other people. It's uh so like Shakita, I have seen this movie many many times and I could quote a lot of it, but I hadn't watched it in a few years. Um so I just recently rewatched it actually. This was the movie I was watching when I was like we need to do an episode about John Woo. <laughs> And you just watched it again for the first time in a while uh, yes. just this week, yeah? Yes. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> why don't you share some of your uh, present day thoughts about Facebook? Well, I, I, well, I mean, I, I sent, I sent you multiple messages as I yes, was rewatching this film and I, I knew, I knew what the, I knew what the plot was. I did remember the plot. I was just like, oh yeah, John Fulton, Nicholas Cage swap faces. <laughs> and and I mean, first of all, yes, that is not how science works. That's not how faces work. That's not. But at how... no point in making this movie did they ever pretend to believe that this could really happen. So I just want yeah. to make sure that this is known. This is not something they thought would would really work. And I I do I do really like the fact that there are several points at which, the, particularly the John Travolta character, who has to Travolta get I give Travolta credit because actually i give all of them credit yeah because he has to listen to this shit and like respond reasonably to it right <laughs> and so when he's being told like here's what we're gonna do he does have this like what like, <laughs> no no yeah. first of all i don't know how that's possible second of all no <laughs> and, and and then he finally gets convinced you know and and i do think that it's it's believable, particularly the way that that character is developed. It's believable that he would go this far, right? Yeah. To change his face with his mortal enemy so that he can get into um, this this maximum security prison and get to the brother and, like, find out where this bomb is. So and that it's, he's it's, really it's, the only person that could do this because he knows him so well. Yes, exactly. So it all, it makes sense. It makes character <laughs> sense, right? Mm-hmm. Um that's not how faces work. No. That's not how skin works. I also, the one time that I think Castor Troy is really, really relatable in this film is when he wakes up and is like, what the hell has happened? It's <laughs> so mad. Mm. And it's like, you know what? Fair. You yeah. were in a coma and the cops just like took your face off and put it on another guy. Like and didn't that, give you a new face, just left you faceless. Just, like, just left it there. And, like, and the whole idea is like, oh, he's basically a vegetable. He's never going to wake up, um, you know, all that. But still, it's just like, that's that's not legal. That's not okay. Like, <laughs> I totally get why he would be really, really angry and, like, want to kill a lot of people as a result of that. So, you know, fair. Okay, but fair he was already <laughs> a bad guy who killed a lot of people before he had a good reason to. But the, he does have a he does have a good reason to be angry. That's that's all that I'm saying. It's just like I understand that <laughs> anger. 
what, so th- but there's <laughs> like as batshit as this movie is as ridiculous <laughs> and honestly to use Shakita's word it is a dumb plot but there's something so subtly brilliant about it and actually some very like there's very little about this movie that's subtle um but there's certain things about it that are like man they really did think of everything like they think of the details they explain the hairlines they explain the need for lipo because john travolta and nicholas cage do not have the same body type um like the voice when the voices yeah, yeah they explain all of it and um and that's how you know that they they know perfectly well this isn't real because they actually had to think through like what would it take to be able to do something like this like what all would you what details would you need to be mindful of and um but also just the way that so when I was I'm sure I did this before when I when I saw it but when I was re-watching it recently I kept forgetting that they didn't actually switch places like they did (laughs) such a good job of playing each other that I kept forgetting it wasn't real (laughs) well yeah and and again I do think that this this film amazingly enough for all of its bad shitness showcases exactly that these are two very good actors mm-hmm. yeah both of them and this this is john travolta and nicholas cage kind of at the the peaks of their career yeah right? their at 90s cage, like yeah, yeah. cage High, had won yeah. had won the oscar like two years before or something like that like uh-huh. um they're both like it is a reminder that as crazy as they can be on screen they are actually both good actors and you you absolutely believe it and like they I, I think the part of it is that they're both dialed up to 11 yeah. from the start, mm-hmm. right? That And they're playing these very extreme characters, um, as, as one would expect. And they know each other really, really well. So when they flip places, you absolutely believe, like, that they can go that that far right and but even like you know Nicolas Cage's performance him trying to be caster but also not being that crazy right Right. being actually being Travolta and being this character that is not that crazy that isn't a, a psychopathic killer right and having to balance those two out and basically going insane as a result of it mm-hmm. um is so believable and and i'm actually just like yes that is john travolta with nicholas cage's face on like i i will i will buy that well especially um, and- too when it keeps going and he he learns that castor has woken up and now looks like him and he's trying to like protect his family but he is he's wearing the face of the person who murdered their son and his mm-hmm. wife is never going to listen to this ever and so it's like it it creates this very um, like this added layer of danger and drama of like, how is he going to communicate that he really is who he says he is um, and protect his wife and daughter from the, the like this murderer who's also <laughs> trying to murder an entire city because he's trying to blow up a bomb in Los Angeles as well. He's, he's trying to blow up a bomb in Los Angeles. And then he's like, well, maybe I won't blow up a bomb in Los <laughs> Angeles. Maybe I'll like just really enjoy the fact that I'm now this this hyper well-known heroic <laughs> fbi agent i could just fuck things up from the inside yeah um at, at a serious level it does actually explore how close these men are to each other right mm-hmm. and how just that little shift of being the hero being the villain can can change the trajectory of things yeah and uh, the cop is not always the good guy and the 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 villain is not always the bad guy even though they are at the same mm-hmm. time um but like i even like so you know 
Cage's performance when he becomes John Travolta is is very realistic. But I like the other side of it too. I like the fact that Travolta like totally indulges in the Nicolas Cage of it all. Um and and really like enjoys that but then he also is like you know what that asshole is like trying to rape my not really daughter i'm mm-hmm. totally gonna beat the shit out of that dude like you don't that's not okay right <laughs> let me teach honey let me teach you how to stab someone in the thigh you know <laughs> yeah here's a knife that you're going to use definitely not against me eventually <laughs> <laughs> But there's just like those little moments of like this fuck that shit like mm-hmm. i don't like that <laughs> yeah that's the thing it's like it, it there's this very weird um dynamic where you actually get a little bit of like humanity even in the worst person too yeah like yeah. it's it's such an interesting just juxtaposition there so yeah. yeah and and i do like the um I, I almost died when like Nicolas Cage gets high and begins talking about like, what is he going to do to this FBI agent that has fucked up his life? And he's like, I want to take his face off. <laughs> and he says, it face fif- off? <laughs> he says it 15 times. He's mm-hmm. like, I want his face off. <laughs> like, ah. Leonardo DiCaprio pointing gift. Yep. Uh, <laughs> it's it's so it's such an insane film, but it it is honestly like loads of fun. And yeah, I I I was I was willing to accept once I was willing to accept the fact that this was like actually possible, which it's not, um, I was willing to accept everything else. Like within and, and the, I Yeah, within the standard. rules of this movie. Yeah. It's yeah. This is very much a film that relies very heavily on the willing suspension of disbelief. Throughout the entire film. Yeah. Right. And and one thing I, I did, I did notice like the number, there's so many fights and gun battles and everything. And it takes forever for them because they, they say like, oh, a violent sneeze can dislodge this microchip mm-hmm. that changes your voice. And it's like, they have been like, falling off of buildings for the past two hours how is that how have those microchips not become dislodged yet all right yeah uh any other thoughts about face off i i i mean i know why it bothered me so the, so the scene that that stuck in my mind is the scene where is the sequence really where where cage wakes up and someone has taken his face off mm-hmm. and um he should have won an oscar for that and then he like loses his his mind because one would and and then you get like it's actually very good with, in terms of the gore where it's not showing tons of grossness but it's just disturbing enough to really stick in your mind yeah um and that's stuck in my mind from the time i was over 12 years old <laughs> that was the entire film for me um i think you had a question yeah. for your parents about that didn't you Yes, why? <laughs> why did they think this was appropriate for me to see at that stage in my life? Like, why? In some um, ways, you were raised like a Gen X kid. <laughs> in some ways, but I mean, my parents were usually very careful about violence uh, and, and not showing me really violent films. I think that there were definitely times where, you know, there is, with action movies, there's the action movie violence that is like, you know, explosions, et cetera, that 
is so not real that it doesn't feel realistic right that, mm-hmm. that it's like okay that's fine whatever the horror stuff that's that's what i'm saying you know that that particular scene was the scene that stuck in my mind yeah because that is like body horror at that point it's it's so it's such a disturbing concept i think that someone could remove your face yeah that's like there there's something just really gross and distressing about that um mm-hmm. and so that's what really what really stuck with me so um I think I believe I did accuse them of this the other day. And and my dad was like, that was your mom's fault. She definitely showed it to you. I don't remember seeing that at all. <laughs> and I was like, no, absolutely not. I was just like, I remember seeing it. So someone showed it to me. <laughs> oh, man, that's great. I love it. But, uh, yeah, it's OK. And that's why I am the way I am today. <laughs> <laughs> it explains so much. But but what about you? Like what you've seen this film multiple times. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I I I it's it's one of those movies that I had watched it a lot and I never really thought deeply about any of it. It was just very entertaining. And um this is gonna sound so stupid, but when I was watching the <laughs> the unbearable weight of massive talent and listening to pedro pascal talk about it i was like you know this movie deserves a little bit of of deeper thought and so when i was watching it this time that was when i was really thinking about like what this would mean for someone who had like he was holding his son in his arms when he got shot like he was the target you know and i was Mm -hmm. just thinking about it on that level and it's like yes this movie is crazy it's it's ridiculous it's a little bit dumb the action is is just insane but just like um just like with a lot of other john woo films amid all of that there is this deeper level that is actually really beautiful and um and heartfelt and dramatic and and a little deeper than than you get just by watching it on a surface level so yeah. I, I think that that he manages to use some of the most insane ideas to communicate something that's actually really ultimately in a weird way a story about moving on from a tragedy <laughs> well I, yeah it's true and there, there's also this like it's kind of turning things inside out a little bit in in the sense that um you know so so often a lot of films we have those things that are like just under the surface that it's a lot it's making the subtextual textual right mm-hmm. and um and there are a number of i think 90s films that that do this and that's why we kind of remember them really um but like so you know that that subtext of grief that subtext of like understanding your your most hated enemy right yeah. and uh, kind of literally quite literally walking a mile in his shoes right experiencing life as him and particularly for the the travolta character like there there's a there's actually a really good scene where with gina gershon and her her child right and he's threatened her in the past and all this and suddenly he's like seeing these people as these are human beings that mm-hmm. i've threatened these are human beings that i thought were pawns to be used were things to be manipulated and in some ways i was behaving in, in exactly the same way as as castro troy yeah um and and he he comes into more of the sense of his humanity uh i think by the end of the film amazingly enough you know again like like you say is within the the context of this batshit idea Mm-hmm. yeah exactly all right so let's talk mission impossible 2 from 
2000 is it 2000 yeah 2000 yeah 2000 yeah and um so this movie is um uh, in order to bring Nazis to justice, a government agent played by Cary Grant. Oh, wait, no, no, wrong movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this does borrow heavily from the plot of Notorious. I'm being very it? generous when I say borrow heavily. <laughs> this movie Notorious is basically a remake. <laughs> yeah, this movie is basically a remake of Notorious, which could totally have qualified for our conversation last week about good alfred hitchcock remakes i think we actually did uh, in discussing alfred hitchcock remakes i think we were actually like we could talk about mission impossible too. <laughs> yeah good good i okay i say good in the sense of like the burbs and throw mama from the train where it's like okay it's not like it's a a great movie but it's entertaining it's wild and and um and a lot of fun. And I think it uses a story that Alfred Hitchcock popularized in a way that works really well for a totally different set of characters. That's sure, what I mean by sure. that. I, I will accept that. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So um, Mission Impossible 2 is wildly different from the first Mission Impossible. It's a, it's a couple of years. It's, about four years after the first movie came out. And so it has a totally different look, a different feel. Tom Cruise has long hair. Um, and this movie was directed by John Woo. And it feels very much like a John Woo film in so many ways. Um, it, it's in this case, there is a virus that could wipe out all of humanity. We have no idea what that would be like to live in a world like that. Um, but, uh, Anyway, so uh, Ethan Hunt, Tom Cruise's character, um, has to recruit um, someone to go undercover, uh, basically, to infiltrate the the bad guys like Lair and, and stop this from happening. The person that he recruits is played by Tandy O.A. Newton, and she happens to be the ex-girlfriend of the bad guy played by DeGray Scott. And it very much is the plot of Notorious. <laughs> like, they're not even trying to hide it. If you know Notorious, <laughs> which is a very well-known Alfred Hitchcock film, uh, like, there's, it, there's, it's not a secret. It's not accidental. It's, yeah, it's very much Notorious. <laughs> you mean that, like, a speech that Louis Calhoun gives in Notorious is also a speech that Anthony Hopkins gives in... <laughs> like, almost word Impossible for word, yeah. Too, which was how I was clued into this was Notorious, because I'd seen Mission Impossible 2 before I'd seen Notorious, and then I watched Notorious, and then at some point I saw Mission Impossible 2 again, and I was like, I recognize this speech. I feel like I've heard this before because I I love Notorious. I'd watched it numerous times at that mm. point, and then I was like, "This is the same movie." <laughs> like, and I began going, "It's like it's the same. It's the same. It's the same plot. It's the same fucking plot, but it, with explosions." Mm -hmm. Yeah, and basically from the beginning, like I mean, not the very first scene, but uh, early on when the two of them meet, so. In Notorious, it's Cary Grant and Ingrid Bergman. Um, and obviously in Mission Impossible 2, it's Tom Cruise and Tandy Way Newton. But um, but like they meet because she's doing something 
wrong and he gets her out of trouble mm-hmm. and that's how they they like get connected and that's why he's mm-hmm. able to go and recruit her for what he needs so that's exactly the same like meeting scenario and then um and then things happen things progress but um you had mentioned and i've also felt this way for a long time too you had mentioned that mission impossible was two was one of your favorite mission impossibles for a really long time <laughs> can you talk about why uh, I, I think that, again, it, it, a lot of it comes down to the action. It is fantastic action. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. It is a great action film. I do think that if you're going to remake a Hitchcock film or like lift whole sections of a Hitchcock film, you should probably do it in like the craziest way possible. And I do think that that film, that this film accomplishes that. Um, you know, the the one of my favorite sequences is like the motorcycle joust mm-hmm. into the beach fight. Yes at the end of the film it's a it is a great fight scene like it's it's a good chase it's a great fight it's like again it's that that craziness that i that you've come to expect from john woo films um that at the same time really plays out the conflict that are that is developed between these two characters right from the very beginning um so again it's that balance of this is crazy but it's also this is how these two characters would react to the situation. This is this is the end game for for how they're going to resolve their problems. Um, so yeah, it, and it's it's a it's a fantastic fight. So I do enjoy the crap out of this movie, um, even though I also recognize that it is a total ripoff of one of my favorite Hitchcock films. <laughs> and but it it does it does rip off very very well. Um, I also one of the reasons why I rewatched. Mission Impossible 2 so much is because I had a thing for Richard Roxborough <laughs> who plays uh, the the sort of the henchman, the right-hand man of Dugray Scott and 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 takes the role of Claude Rains's mother mm-hmm. <laughs> from Notorious, which I think is just really funny. Like, and and he's a good villain. Like uh, uh, Richard Roxborough has had a an interesting career, um, but he is he's a fantastic, like just purely nasty henchman yeah he's so good too in this one like he doesn't say a ton like so much of so much of his character is menacing and like quiet like he he just like he could tear someone down just with a glare you know and he's so good at it it's perfect yes Perfect. He's he's actually more similar to um, Martin Landau in North by Northwest. If you mm, use yeah. Hitchcock comparisons, he's very similar in that way, where he's almost more dangerous in some ways than the main villain. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. It's so true. Um, yeah, I don't even know what to say about Mission Impossible Two. I feel like everybody has seen it probably <laughs> more than once. Um, but I guess let's talk about it as a John Woo film because mm-hmm. the Mission Impossible movies really didn't, I mean, we kind of talked about this a few weeks ago, but um, they really didn't start to coalesce into a franchise until like the fourth or fifth movie. Um, before that, every one of them, like especially the first three, they're so different from each other. And um, I think they really take on the the qualities of their directors. And I think none more so than Mission Impossible 2, which very much like it's all the things that John Woo is best known for. It's crazy action, really, really well choreographed action that that is part of the plot of the movie. Um, and then like we get we get an appearance of the doves, <laughs> we get 
um, all those <laughs> trademark John Woo qualities. So, um, wh- where, wh- what would you say about um, kind of some of the hallmarks of of John Woo in in this movie, and whether they do or do not work? Well, the again, you you go back to that extremity, which is what we've been talking about for you know for most of this conversation about that the extreme level. So. I, I think that this is actually a really good marriage between star and director in a lot of ways, because Wu's brand of action matches some of the shit that Tom Cruise wants to do so well. So like the motorcycle joust, the um, uh, the crazy car chases, the big explosions, the slow-mo, diving through the air in <laughs> slow motion with your shooting your guns, you know, all that, that kind of like almost boyish, this is the kind of, of this this is the sort of thing that boys do when you pretend to be firing guns and stuff like that. It's like, oh, I'm going to dive behind this thing, like, and then I'm going to spin the motorcycle and do a backflip, like all of those sorts of things that are, so funny and and not realistic in a certain sense is very much the kind of thing that like Cruz wants to do and that Wu is very good at. So mm-hmm. it it kind of coalesces at, at that level. Um, so I like I I do think yeah I I agree that it didn't really become a franchise until quite later. But this kind of this is more like all of the other the subsequent Mission Impossible films. Yeah, this um, laid the groundwork for. Sorry, no, go on. Well, I was going to say, yeah, this laid the groundwork for Mission Impossible as an action franchise more than a spy franchise. Yeah. And and I think that that was very that seems to very much balance out with what Cruz wanted as as the actor, um, as the stuntman, et cetera. And and also and Wu is good at doing that. Like Mm -hmm. he's good at crafting these believable within the world of the film action sequences that are at the same time completely unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, shoot. What was I going to say? There's something else I was about to add to that. Give me a second. It'll come to me. I don't know. It's lost. Uh, hopefully it'll come back. But um, I think one of the things about Mission Impossible 2... Well, so first of all, like, yes, the the motorcycle jousting scene is is amazing um but so like just just as in the first mission impossible where so much of the marketing was built around the train sequence and um and the the cia break-in drop from the ceiling sequence um this movie was built around some of those like some of those big stunts as well like as far as the marketing goes and that that big not just the the motorcycle um you know chasing and all that but especially that jump where they like slam chests and oh my gosh how did they not break (laughs) their ribs oh man but um but even before that in the very opening scene it opens Mm -hmm. with ethan well i guess it's the second scene um but when we first see Ethan again, um, it's him hanging off the side of a cliff, seemingly without any sort of like any sort of uh, what's the word? Um, Belay. Yeah. No, yeah. no ropes. He's, yeah. he's free climbing. Right. Free climbing in Monument Valley because, you know, of course, why wouldn't he? <laughs> and and that was a big part of the marketing, too. And it's like this was, I think, the first 
this was our first chance to see that every one of these movies was going to subsequently get bigger and bigger mm-hmm. with the stunts and the action and stuff. And and you really see that because everything is ramped up from the first movie. And I even like how when they have to break into this lab to get this virus and, and kill it before it can leak out to the world. And they're trying to figure out, you know, all the complications like with uh, with being Rames's character and the, and the rest of the team. And they're trying to figure out like how to accomplish this with all of the the challenges that they have that are similar to the challenges that they had with the CIA break in, but not quite the same. And so he can't do things the same way that he did the first time. And they even like call attention to that and, and basically tell you like, Nope, this has to to go a little farther. We have to push it a little Mm -hmm. bit more. And um, yeah, so it really does ramp everything up a little bit. And I feel like John Woo was the exact right director to to do that to like to mm-hmm. push it forward and like you said i think it was such a perfect marriage between director and star um because it really felt like tom cruise knew exactly what and i'm sure he did like knew exactly what he was doing by going after john woo to direct a mission impossible movie and really turn it into yeah. something bigger and and something more ultimately yeah yeah no definitely and I, I i think it's very funny that the that rock climbing sequence because i remember when the film came out and like that was a big thing like people uh-huh. talked about it a lot i remember seeing tom cruise interviewed talking about it like all of that um i love the fact that it has fuck all to do with the rest of the film <laughs> it is literally just ethan like having fun like yep. he like he's not on he a mission free time <laughs> he's not on a mission he's not like he is he's just doing this because ah, of course i'm doing this this is what i do mm-hmm. and and it's yeah it's it's a lot it's a lot of fun i i do want to mention i think that we should talk a, briefly at least about the women yes. and the representations of women and particularly when it comes to I, it's hard for me not to uh, attach this to notorious because in notorious ingrid bergman does a lot of stuff like yeah. she is very instrumental in um solving the case in like you know dealing with having to to be in this relationship marriage with this man that she is not actually in love with that is potentially a killer like all of these things the amount of danger that she gets put in etc and even to the point where they like have to have to drug her multiple times to stop her from getting away. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, she's ultimately saved right by Cary Grant, but she's very, very proactive in, in the Hitchcock film. Yeah. Not so much in mission impossible too. Like she is very much like, okay, so she's supposed to be this master thief. Right. But she never really gets to exercise that much at all. And then it's basically like, ah, oh, she's been infected with this virus and we're going to like push her off a cliff or, or whatever. Um, you know, we're going to release her into the middle of humanity. And and so it really downplays her role in getting to do anything. Like She doesn't really get that much to do, even mm-hmm. though she's been established as this character that should be very proactive in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. Like the only time that she really gets to to use her skills um, is when she's trying to get that envelope from um, from Ambrose's pocket at the race and everything. But even then, like she's not sneaky enough to get it past him. Like he still knows that she did that. And so, yeah, like she never really 
uh, gets to realize her potential. You're absolutely right. Um, and I think in a lot of John Woo's films, um, women aren't mm. necessarily well <laughs> represented overall. <laughs> this isn't real. This isn't, um, this isn't confined just to Mission Impossible too. I think this is is a frequent issue with with his movies. He definitely is making movies about and for boys. Yes, definitely. And and I do. I at the same time, I don't think that there's there's not tons of just misogyny or anything like that. Right. It's just women aren't very important. They become the damsels in, dis, in distress. Yeah. 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 It's not like let's torture women, let's hurt women, et cetera. But yeah, it's, it's very much like, so, you know, the Joan Allen characters, um, uh, John Travolta's wife in face off the, the teenage daughter who like has a couple of scenes. Um, the, the most active woman in face off is, uh, Gina Gershon. Mm-hmm. And even she is like very much the damsel in distress. She right. has, uh, she has ulterior reasons for protecting caster and things like that. Um, and well, even in hard boils, like yeah. you've got um, tequila's love interest is another cop. And when she gets to the hospital, she's distracted by the babies first yeah. before she gets into the action. And then it becomes like, I have to save the babies. Yeah, exactly. So so it's it's this very casual, like you say, it's sort of boys only adventure almost. Mm-hmm. Um, it's It's this very casual sexism that kind of doesn't doesn't demean women really but also kind of just puts them off to the side and goes like okay you're there your plot devices basically yeah it doesn't feel um, mean-spirited it doesn't feel like um it doesn't feel like it's attacking women it's just not letting them really be a big big important part yeah. of the action they don't get to participate in the action is in the same way that the men do exactly i i think it's it's clearest in a lot of ways in mission impossible too because of the existence of notorious and because of the very close relationship between the two films mm-hmm. um so you can see where again i'm always like oh hitchcock is such a misogynist it's just like could be but also <laughs> but also th- th- can we talk about how proactive his women are mm-hmm. because it's in the remakes where the women stop being proactive it seems just yeah. pointing that out he's um, also making a lot of movies that were written with or at least or by women and yes. co yeah. co-produced and yeah like he he involves women in his storytelling which is why his women are so much tend to be so much better written and more active yeah yeah exactly so i i think that it's clearer in, in something like mission impossible too where you're like especially because she's been established as supposed to be this great thief mm-hmm. and then nothing ever really develops more out of that you just like it, it doesn't pay off in the way that you kind of expect it to it it focuses more than on the conflict between particularly these two men yeah well even in the beginning when we first meet her she's in the middle of of a robbery essentially and um that he gets her out of but uh she you know she's snarky she has a lot of barbs like she she has the comebacks and things she's she's not just a good thief she's also um you know just kind of a strong personality and as soon as she's in this situation with her ex uh she becomes kind of this this wilting flower before she's ever infected with a virus yeah so yeah that's true yeah but the thing is even with those even with those issues john woo films are fun 
and you should watch them. <laughs> they are fun. Like it, it's, I I give him a pass sometimes. Yeah. I I have to admit where I'm just like I, I there's some things that I I do not appreciate about the undercurrents here, but also this is really entertaining. And look, they just blew up that building, and now they're gonna fight on motorcycles. Isn't yeah. that cool? <laughs> like, how can you hate that? And yeah. and again, I think it I think he gets the pass partly just because of the fact that it doesn't feel mean spirited. It doesn't feel like he hates yeah. women. It's just he's not really considering them in the narrative so (laughs) (laughs) doesn't hate women he just doesn't really think about them as people (laughs) but also nicholas cage has golden guns and i love it (laughs) he does he dances he dances around to like he's like get a priest specimen he dances around and then and i swear to god they set that up solely so that john travolta could dance around yes like when he's disarming the bomb like yep. I, I i really <laughs> do it's just like we have to do this and i think the two of them probably got together and were like we have to do this we're like okay 100 absolutely yep <laughs> <laughs> um let's see so hard-boiled is a little bit tricky to find online you can rent it i think from amazon um um not saying that's what i did (laughs) and it's not the sort of thing that you would necessarily want to search for on youtube i would never never do that Mm -hmm. um just we are not recommending that at Mm -mm. all no no (laughs) we definitely would not recommend looking that up on youtube at all um because i'm sure there's no good high quality prints of it Mm -hmm. on there Anywhere. Um, you can find Face Off on Peacock. No, sorry, not Peacock, Paramount Plus, and I think on AMC as well. AMC and then, Plus, yeah. Yeah. And then um uh Mission Impossible 2 is on Paramount Plus as well. So and also at my house. You can just come on over. <laughs> I'll show it to you. <laughs> so anyway, uh any final thoughts before we wrap up, Lauren? No, check out these films, especially like I'm I'm saying if you've not seen Face Off in a while, like it was a joy for me. Like I had a great time. <laughs> so much fun. So great. <laughs> so much fun. Very much a, a Saturday night movie. Like Yeah. And watch some of his other movies too. Hard Target is such a such a fun one to watch as well. Um and Last Raw for Chivalry is on the Criterion channel, and that's a very mm-hmm. early John Woo film that even though it's a very different type of movie, it shares so much of the same DNA of the things that he's best known for. So Mm -hmm. yeah, totally worth it. Uh, All right. Well, that's going to wrap things up. Thank you all so much for listening. We especially want to thank our patrons who help keep the show going. Uh, Your support really does mean the world to us. Um, They, our patrons are Ali, Brian, Connor, Estefania, Heather, James, Judy, Karen, Cariata, Lauren, Matt, Michelle, Monty, Nanina, Robert, Robert, Steve, Sharon, and Tao. And if you would like to become a patron yourself, you can go to patreon.com slash citizen dame and sign up. Uh, We do have bonus episodes and you get early access to the episodes. We also have little welcome packs. So if you sign up, um, you get one of those. And if you have not received one, please be sure to let us know. Um, and uh, we do have our Zazzle store, zazzle.com slash citizen dame pod and our ko-fi, ko-fi.com slash citizen dame. And uh, those are just a couple ways you can support us. Um, it just really does help pay for our hosting and, and keep feminist film conversations on the internet. So uh, you can also find our work on our website, citizendamepod.com, where we have reviews 
and some other fun stuff and, and more things coming soon. Um, if you want to reach out to us, you can email us citizendamepod at gmail.com. And we are on all kinds of social media. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and now Blue Sky Citizen Dame Pod. Blue Sky, you have to do the Citizen Dame Pod at bsky.social. Um, and then also Letterboxd. We're really trying to do more with our Letterboxd. So if you're on there, please follow us at Citizen Dame. But you can also find us individually. Lauren, where are you? I'm on the various socials at LH Business. And I'm on all the socials at Karen M. Peterson. So that's it. That's going to wrap things up for this week. Thank you so much for listening. Watch more movies. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Once we kidnap Super Cop, then what? Tiny surgery. I'd like to take his, his face off. Excuse me, I have to use the little boy's wee-wee room. Cat. You want to take his face? Yes. His face? Oh. Eyes. Nose. Skin. It's coming off. face no more drugs for that man <laughs>